0: hope you don't mind if I just take a brief moment to offer another short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I ask that you please send your Holy Spirit to speak through me and touch each heart here, and Lord, um, may the words I speak not be my words, but yours, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, we're going to start at our scripture reading today. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Hopefully it's one you've committed to memory and you know inside and out. And hopefully today, what I share with you from God's word will add deeper perspective and, and more depth to what you are already very familiar with. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. However, we're going to start just a few verses or earlier. We're going to start in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. So the disciples are like, hey, we really want you to just like sit back and take in a view of this temple. And Jesus said unto them, see not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. That was about the most unexpected thing Jesus could tell his disciples at that moment, because this temple wasn't wasn't in the glory of solomon's temple but it had been restored by herod and and it was a real symbol of pride in that jewish economy and to hear these words that not a single one of those big huge pieces of marble would be left on top of each other was just a little bit disconcerting and and definitely must signal the end of the world and the end of all things as we know it for that that, that's that's the only thing that could happen to, to cause the destruction of such an edifice. And so, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which had a wonderful view of the temple and into Jerusalem, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? For now they had this question on their minds, What? when is this going to happen? What, what's going to happen? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars and see, excuse me, see that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And he goes on to give all of the signs of the end in Matthew chapter 24, and then in Matthew chapter 25, giving a picture of the end in parable form. But here in Matthew 24, verse 13, he said, you know, just a few verses earlier, and the end is not yet, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, For a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. So the disciples ask what? When shall the end of these things be? And Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This gospel of this kingdom Let's go take a look at another passage. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to start with the first messenger. The first angel in verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the what? everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Did Jesus say something about preaching gospel everywhere in the world? You know, if if you flip back to Matthew chapter 24, it, it very clearly says it shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. And here says the same thing again. This gospel shall be preached as a witness to all them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people and angels they're really messengers aren't they you have angels that came to joshua be strong and of a good courage for the lord your god will be with you that was the angel of the lord that met with joshua there um simply the messenger and in that case was probably jesus You've got the angel Gabriel who comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, you know, fear not, I've come to tell you the things that shall shortly come to pass. So here we've got a messenger with a message for Daniel, you know, of the things that shall come to pass, both then and in the future. You have John. Here he is in Revelation on the island Patmos. And in the very first verse of the book of Revelation. He says, you know, I, John, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things which he saw. So here, God sent a message unto his servants, and he signified it by his angel, who gave it to John, who wrote it down for us. We have Manoah and his wife. You know, his wife has an angel who comes to him, her and says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a Nazarene. And she comes back and tells her husband, and he's like, where's the angel? (laughs) I want to hear this message. I I, I want to hear it for myself. And so later the angel comes back and and then Manoah comes and the angel tells both of them, listen, you're going to have a son and he's going to be special. You've got the angel who comes to Zacharias and says, look, you're going to have a child. And he laughs. And so then he's struck mute. But, you know, they, these angels, they're really messengers. They, sometimes they don't share messages of hope. Sometimes, you know, you've got the angel who came in and, uh, was it, 168,000 Assyrians were dead in the morning. Sometimes, you know, angels can be messengers of death. And s- sometimes they're messengers of life. Um, you've got Michael, the archangel, which is a reference to Jesus, and he comes and disputes over the body of Moses and brings life back. Or you've got him in Daniel chapter 12. You have Michael the archangel, and he speaks, and the dead come forth from the graves. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's how we know this is for sure Michael. Every time Michael shows up, there is a resurrection. So we know it has to be Jesus. So we have these angel, and he has a message And it's a super important message. It is the everlasting gospel. It's enduring from eternity unto eternity. It's good news. And he says in this good news, in this everlasting gospel that goes to the earth, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea, and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. We're going to focus here on this message of the everlasting gospel. It begins with, fear God and give glory to him. You know, we find another reference uh, to fearing God in Joshua 4. If you turn to Joshua chapter 4, and this is a Bible study this morning, so expect to turn some pages. Joshua chapter 4, verse 24. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say have mercy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joshua 4, verse 24. I'll start in 23. I'll give you just a few extra seconds to get there. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. You might be in awe of the Lord your God and his power and his might to deliver, for he parted the Red Sea. So here... We see fear God for his power. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 reads, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So here we have another example of fearing the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and loving him. This isn't a fear that petrifies. This is a fear of awe, of reverence, of love to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. It's a respect It's, I care about this almighty being who's a part of my life, this adoration. Other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about how the fear of the Lord came into the nations round about Israel. And in that case, it was a petrified fear. You know, when when the nations in the land of Canaan heard that Jericho had been destroyed, it says the fear of the Lord came upon all all the land because if Jericho could be destroyed that that means my town could be next and and this God he can do mighty things for these children of Israel fear God give glory unto him 1 Corinthians 6:17 and 20 17 through 20 1 Corinthians 6 17 through 20 But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, what for? Why? Why? because you were bought for a price, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Matthew 5, verse 16. Again, Jesus brings up this concept of bringing glory unto God in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, he just finished the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are ye, are they that mourn when men shall, uh, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All these blessings. And then he says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when we're blessed of God, when we received his blessings in our life, we have a responsibility to share. Those those blessings flow out in good works to our fellow human beings. And then they're like, why are you feeding me? Why are you giving me clothes to wear? Why are you, why are you teaching me about how I can live healthier? Why, are you, why do you care so much about me when I'm going through this rough time? Why would you take the time to encourage me? You don't know me from Adam. Why? Why? And then we have opportunity to bring the glory and the praise to God and give glory to God. Our Father, which is in heaven, give glory to God for the hour, the hour. Now, it could have said, you know, give glory to God for his judgment is here, but it doesn't. It's very, very, very specific. Here it says, for the hour of his judgment is come. There's very, very specific timing involved in this judgment. And we'll come back to this concept of time. Later on, judgment. Judgment. It's, it's part of the gospel. Can you believe it? Turn back a few pages. Revelation. Chapter 11. This is an example of how, how judgment is part of the gospel. Chapter 11, I believe it's 11, nope, it's not, 18, souls under the altar, if you, it's, it's, it's here close by. Here we go. Six. Chapter six. And verse nine. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So this is an example of judgment being a part of this good news. It, you know, how long is God gonna let sin reign and evil people flourish and prosper? How long until justice comes? David asked this very same question of God. He said, You know, God, I, I don't understand. How come all the good things are happening to the evil people in the world and i'm being oppressed how come i'm in the suffering trials and how come how come things aren't working out for me and he's like you know and and he reflects in his psalm and he's like i was so perplexed over the fate of the wicked and the righteous until i went into the sanctuary i believe that's Psalm ninety-seven thirteen or seventy-eight thirteen. I can't remember, but I think it's Psalm ninety-seven thirteen. You can check me on that. Um, David wondered, like, you know, how long is this sin problem going to continue? How long is how long are the righteous going to suffer and the wicked going to prosper? But the good news is, there is an allotted time at which judgment comes, and all of that is over. All of that is done. The record gets to be set straight. All of the injustices, all of the oppression, all of the slavery, all of the hatred, all of the violence, the record, it gets set straight. It's good news worship worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water worship the creator the god of the universe we're actually going to talk a little bit about worshiping this creator god in john chapter one but we have a few other texts we're going to get there for we're going to go over first see this is the everlasting gospel this is the good news it has an element of adoration fear for god because of his power because of what he's done for us his salvation his parting of the red sea in our lives and deliverance from the evil one deliverance from egypt that place of sin that we came from it has adoration and then as a result of that adoration, we give God glory when we reflect his goodness to others, when, we, when our good works shine forth, when we care for the poor, when we you know, give the homeless man our lunch, you know, when we reach out to other people, it brings God glory because it shows who Jesus is to a world that doesn't know, that, doesn't, that hasn't experienced his love. And we may be the only chance they get to. To, to feel it. We get to give him glory and worship him. He is the creator. He is almighty. He is powerful. He cares about us. He made every little detail. He made this the grass that grows so green and the trees. He made the flowers that bring us joy and life. He is so good to us. And he will set the record straight in his time. This this gospel of the kingdom of God, it's a focus of Jesus' ministry. In fact, let's go trace it through Jesus' ministry for just a few minutes. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to see this in Mark We're going to start in Matthew 1, and then we'll go to Mark 1. So, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. 20. So, Mary becomes pregnant, Joseph is worried. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This was a message of good news. That the angel brought to Joseph. And this good news is a message that Jesus carried with him throughout his ministry. Turn with me to Mark 1. Mark chapter 1. Just one gospel over, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's baptized, and then he goes into the wilderness and is tempted, and we pick up the story immediately after that in verse 14. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, no, wait, what was Jesus preaching? Gospel of, gospel of the kingdom of God. He was preaching in his day what we need to be preaching in ours, the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, so what was Jesus saying? Time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Hopefully, in a future sermon, future day, another study, we're going to actually dig into the time being fulfilled. Because Jesus wasn't just saying, you know, it's about time this earth had a savior. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is the time when the Savior was foretold to come. He's like, the time is at hand. It's now, not sometime, not a time of salvation, but the time is at hand. The time that he refers to later on of of the 69th week, the 70th week. of of Daniel chapter 9. This is the time that has come, the time of which the prophets spoke and wished to behold. You know, they they looked longingly after it. This is the time that has come, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And you'll find throughout Mark, over and over and over again, you'll, you'll find the parables where Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God is like unto leaven. The kingdom of God is like unto a coin. The kingdom of God is like unto a treasure. The kingdom of God is like unto a pearl of great price that when a man found, he sold all (laughs) and purchased. You know, the kingdom of God is worth everything to us. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. So here we get to the piece of the gospel where we have to respond. We have to react. You see, the gospel goes two ways. The gospel is the good news of Jesus and what he does for us. And accompanying that is our response to him. Will we love him? Will we choose to serve him? How are we going to relate to the gospel? Will we believe the word of God? When God says, I love you, are we going to take it seriously and say, I trust him? When Jesus says, I give you my righteousness, do we take him seriously? When he says, I'm here to give you a new life and a new heart, Am I going to actually apply that to me personally as if he spoke just to me? So there, there's this there's this: will I let the goodness of God break my heart and bring me to repentance? Will I believe his love, his mercy, his promises to me? So it's it's two parts. It's God and his goodness and mercy, what he's done, his plan of salvation, his timeline, his time frame, and it's how am I going to relate to him? Because we have a lot of good news, my friends. In fact, the angels talked about this good news when Jesus came in Luke chapter 2. They said, We bring you tidings of great t- good tidings of great joy, for unto you is the point. There is... So much good news. John chapter 1. Again, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The good news of the gospel. A creator God. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bear witness of Him. Here in John chapter one, we find the Creator. In the beginning was the word. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We find a proclamation of this creator and his coming. The proclamation given by John, and then that that light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, that's a reference to how Christ gives every individual some knowledge of truth some impartation of grace and faith. Lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And then that was the true light. He was in the world. The world was made by him. Again, he was the creator. And the world didn't know him. These are some of the saddest words in scripture. Because here we have the creator who has come as the Redeemer, and yet his creation doesn't know him. He came to his own, and his own, not only did they not know him, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. But those who did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here again, we have a reference to this new birth, repent and believe experience. So the gospel has this repent and believe. Believe on the name of God who were born not of blood nor the will of flesh nor of the man but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And they called his name Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. This is incredible news. He showed us the Father, the one full of the one only. He showed us the Father, and he brought us grace and truth. And we find this new birth experience again in in John chapter 3. John wrote about it a lot, and he wrote about it a lot probably because it had become such a real, such a personal experience of his own. You know, he, he was formerly known as, you know, James and John, the Sons of Thunder. You know, John didn't used to be this compassionate, caring individual. He was a little bit, you know, he was a little bit quick off the handle, you know, quick temper. He wasn't much of a reflection of Christ, but he experienced a new birth. And you see it throughout all of his writings, for he writes about it frequently. On John chapter 3, we have Nicodemus, and this is the only place where we find the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. You know, John wrote about it, um, probably because he was likely one of the few disciples accompanying Jesus at that time. You know, Peter, James, and John tended to accompany Jesus to wherever he went to pray at night, and he he was probably one of the few people there when Nicodemus came seeking for Jesus. Um, And he tells Nicodemus, verily I say unto you, of a truth, without a doubt, except a man be born again, he cannot see what? The kingdom of God. This is the focus of Jesus' ministry. He wants people to understand this gospel of the kingdom of God. He wants people to experience the gospel of the kingdom of God. Again, he says, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Here we have reference back to what we just read in John chapter 1. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind blows where it wants and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can't always trace you know, a, a moment of conversion because sometimes it's a process. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? And Jesus is like, how can you be a teacher in Israel and not understand these things? We speak what we do know, and we testify to what we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you believe not, how should you believe if I tell you heavenly things? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So here again, we have Jesus speaking of this new birth experience, speaking of a repentance, a turning away from evil deeds, a belief, a belief in the Son of God, a belief that saves, that gives everlasting life, a belief based on a knowledge of the one true God, and a judgment, a judgment that comes upon the world simply by the presence of Jesus being here. Because Jesus essentially says, you know, he which believes not is condemned already because This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So Jesus essentially says, you know what, this gospel by its very nature carries with it a judgment aspect because when this gospel, the goodness of God is presented to people, they have a choice. They can choose to serve or they can choose not. But, by its very nature, by giving somebody that choice, it also brings upon people condemnation if they reject that choice. Yet they need to be given that choice, for he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You know, that, that's, our, that's our default state. You know, not accepting Christ, not converted, not surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that's the default. And so Christ is like, I came to show the world a better way. I brought light, truth about the character of God, about the goodness of God into the world. This, this is, I'm bringing the gospel of the kingdom, but this will necessitate judgment because it, it you know when you when you receive the light you can accept it and accept eternal life or reject it and reject eternal life John chapter 16 verses 26 through 28 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus clarifies this in John chapter 16 you'll turn with me there. And I'm coming right up to the conclusion in a few minutes. Hmm? Yep, it's John chapter 16, verses 26 through 28. At that day, ye shall ask in my name, and I say unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So Christ here speaks of his close connection to the Father. And then in verse 29, his disciples say unto him, Lo, you now speak plainly and don't speak a proverb. Now we are sure that you know all things. And Jesus said, do you now believe? Like, does it take me, you know, has it taken you this long to believe? If you remember, by this point we get n- by the point by this time in John, we're in the last few hours of Jesus' life. I think it's John chapter 13 where we have, you know, the the last supper. Yeah. So we have the last supper and Jesus washing his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. And pretty much this whole section, John 14, 15, 16, 17 is all Jesus' words up through until he went to Gethsemane and was arrested. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. And he's like, are you just now believing? (laughs) He's like, I've been with you for three and a half years, and you're just now believing? Behold, the hour comes. What comes? The hour. Another prophetic Landmark has arrived. This is the hour of the cutting off of the prince of Daniel chapter nine in the seventy weeks. You know, the Messiah is being cut off for his people. The hour has come. Yea, the hour comes, yea, it is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am with you. I'm here revealing the Father to you. And again, in verse 26, it says, I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Like, I don't need to pray the Father for you anymore. Why? The Father himself loves you. And so here we have again, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Anyhow, just just love the word of God. Love scripture. Don't you just love the God we serve? He's the creator. By the word of his mouth were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Psalm chapter 33. Jesus, he is love. You know, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, it's, it's verses we love to quote. First John four verses seven through eleven. Little children, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knows not God, for God is love. You know this is this is the very nature of God and. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here, same themes coming up again and again. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to to love one another. Herein is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. He loved me, Ben, personally, individually. He loves you personally, individually. He came to earth as if you were the only one to save. He took your burden of sin, my burden of sin to the cross and bore it for me and for you. This is such infinite love. He is the lamb that was sacrificed and slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13:8. He's God's representative to us. Thomas says, "Show us the Father," and he's like, "Have I been so long with you and you don't yet know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Here he was representing the Father's love to us. If he was love, the Father was love. He is the judge. This is part of the good news of the judgment. In John 5, verse 22, it says, and Jesus says, you know, don't you know that the Father does not judge For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus is the judge. He's the one who's going to set the record straight. He's going to set the record straight, and it's going to be very soon, for the hour of his judgment is come. He is everlasting. John 8, verse 58, uh, Jesus was talking with the Jews, and he spoke of Abraham, and they said, how do you know Abraham? You're not yet... You know, 50 years old. How would you have known Abraham? And Jesus says to them, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And the Jews had no questions what he meant when he said, I am. They took up stones to kill him. They thought he was being blasphemous. You know, Exodus 29, verse 45 Makes it very clear who Jesus claimed to be when he said, I am, before Abraham was, I am. Exodus 29, verse 45. Yeah, starting in verse 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And earlier in Exodus, it says, you know, when Moses says, what shall I tell the people when I go? And God says, when you go, tell them that I am hath sent you. (laughs) You know, I am that I am is what it says in another place, I believe, also in Exodus. He is everlasting. Before Abraham was, he is. (laughs) He is the one who showed us what the new birth means. Jesus adopts us as his children. I love Romans 8, verses 12 through 17, where it says, you know, the spirit, the spirit that God hath given us, uh, I'm slaughtering it. I need to get started. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For as many of you as are led by the Spirit of God, you are the sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So here, Christ adopts us. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath given unto us, that he hath called us the sons of God. He declares to us his timeline. I love prophecy. And so one of my favorite verses relating to prophecy is Isaiah chapter 49, 46, sorry, 46 verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end, and he tells us what's going to happen before it even takes place. Prophecy. He is wonderful. He is the gospel, in summary. Shows us the gospel, and gives us the choice to respond so what is our choice? Do we know his love f- for me, for you? He doesn't ask for worship in the first angel's message arbitrarily. It's from a heart of gratefulness that we give him our adoration and yield him glory. But that, that has to center in a love for what he's done for us. A love for who he is. And an understanding that he loves us, not because we first loved him, but because he first loved us. Our proclamation of the good news isn't a proclamation of some high high and mighty theory. Some great principles of truth that only exist in theoretical abstract space. No, no, no. Our proclamation of the gospel is plain and simple. Us living a life that glorifies God and, and sharing what we've experienced of his love, of his goodness, how we've come to trust him through prophecy, how we've come to know him, for who he is and what he does for me because he's rescued me from sin. He's rescued me from the land of Egypt. He's parted the Red Sea and delivered me. He who has been forgiven much loves much. So do we know him? And John, again, had an opportunity to walk and talk with Christ. Day by day, he observed the goodness of God. He watched people come back from the dead. He watched Lazarus raised from the dead. The widow of Nain's son resurrected to life as they were going to bury him. You know, he, he saw God work with Judas, someone who would eventually reject his love, but for who, with whom... He bore patiently, instructing, loving, and lovingly rebuking for three and a half years before he finally totally turned on Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. John got to see God's love really close and personal, and he accepted that love in his own life. And it was from his own experience that he spoke the words in John chapter 17, verse 3 And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you know the love of God? Have you accepted that love for you? That love that's personal, that's individual that cares about you as if you were the only one on planet Earth. He would have come and died just for you, just for me. He's amazing. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just absolutely in awe of the love that you have for us and that you've shown us. Father, we love you not because we deserve it but because you've loved us and we definitely don't deserve that love. Father, you've shown us grace, mercy, truth. You've shown us who God is and Lord, I just want to accept your gift of love to me today. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.